As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I remember standing up and saying this stuff in 2020. And this in Q3, this is unsustainable. Mm. And then Q4, markets even go up. Q1 2021, yeah, yeah. better. Yeah. Q2 20, even higher, yeah. higher. So I was just going, maybe all my learnings were just fake. Maybe this is a new world. But <laughs> this time is different. Basics, this time's really different. <laughs> like it was gut-wrenching to be yeah. honest, right? Like yeah. when the markets kept going up, 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 up last year, like I was just wondering, man, like what is happening? Mm. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly podcast from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, and wow, my goodness, what a week in tech. So this week alone, we've had Stripe, Lyft, Opendoor, Chime, and probably by the time you hear this, Twitter all pushed through huge layoffs. In the space of a few days, something like 6,000 people will have lost their jobs across various companies. Uh, and there's absolutely more to come as the economy really kind of shudders to a halt and probably goes into reverse as interest rates go up, etc. All of which makes this week's conversation all the more relevant. On the program, we have Naveen Chada. He is the managing director of Mayfield Fund, one of the storied venture capital firms out here. It's been around for more than half a century and has backed some of the biggest names in the business. And it also runs very lean. Seven investing partners look after something like $2 billion in venture capital funds. Anyhow, Naveen himself is a three-time entrepreneur before he switched to the whole VC gig about 15 years ago. So he has seen a lot. And we actually recorded this about a week ago before all of the bad news this week. And we talked then about the huge shifts that are happening right now in the economy and in tech in particular, the immense pain that was coming and what it all means for startups and innovation, how this is similar or different from the dot-com meltdown 20-some years ago, etc. Anyhow, um, few people are better placed or more insightful about what is happening out there right now. And Naveen has a, quite a fabulous personal story, which took him from India via the very, very difficult IIT in Delhi out to Stanford and now running one of the top Sandhill Road venture firms. So if you are interested at all in the economy, startups in a downturn, how to survive, and what's coming next, this is the pod for you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Naveen Chada of Mayfield. Enjoy. 
So Naveen, thank you for having me here. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. I want to start because it's a Tuesday and I drove up here and there's like one other car in the parking lot. And I came in here and there's like the very nice lady at the front desk, your assistant. And then I basically could slalom through your office. There's nobody here. But I was I was doing some reading before we met about kind of hybrid work, the future mm-hmm. of work, mm-hmm. what that all means. And so it just feels like a good apropos place to start because I think it is interesting. And I'd love to just understand. And we're going to get into Mayfield Fund, what it is, how you got here, all that stuff. But just where we are at this current moment post-COVID and how you're looking at it as an investor and this future of work and what it means for this place. We're actually on Sand, Sand Hill, Hill Road. Yeah. And everybody say, ah, oh, this is the end. This is the beginning of the end, right? So what do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, the world is going to be hybrid. So for example, at Mayfield, uh, we have decided all the team will come in three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. So same days, everybody's in. Everybody's in. Got you. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's optional. And basically, uh, if you have a board meeting, you can have it here. If you have like a podcast like this, you can have it here. So I would say on Tuesdays and Thursdays, maybe 20 to 30% of the people come. But let me tell you the secret. What's the secret? The secret is we have a basement. So everybody who comes to Mayfield parks there, all the employees. Ah. (laughs) The outside cars are only for the guests. So still 30% of the people are at the office. We roughly employ 30 people. So still like 9, 10 are in today. Right, right, right. Uh, And there was actually an event on lunch and learn at noon on next generation marketing. Uh, How do you create demand gen? What's the best way to do content marketing? So there were around 20 people over lunch. Uh, we had a guest speaker, one of our partners hosted them. So I think like the world will be hybrid. As far as our investment business is concerned, a lot of our companies were hybrid. So it was easy for them to Pre, adjust to pre-pandemic. pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Because uh, they were distributed offices because engineering is done from all over the world. And a lot of people work from home because there's no small offices, if you will, Yeah. if you have a remote and distributed team. But a lot of them have pivoted now where uh, their employees have the flexibility to come in two, three days a week. And the bigger the company, uh, the more the flexibility, the smaller the company. You right. need to all be together because uh, if you're 10 people, Two can't show up on Monday. Two can't show up yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's the way it goes. And as far as our business is concerned, any investment decision we are making, we are meeting teams in person. We are making investment decisions together. Mayfield is a people-first firm, and we primarily invest at the inception stage. Even during COVID, we didn't do any new investments on Zoom. So essentially, we either traveled to where the entrepreneur was, or the entrepreneurs were local, or they happened to travel to meet with us. Did you have any weird uh, places where you had like investment pitches in like a yurt or like some kind of outdoor area or, you know, because... Yeah, yeah. Uh, If you look outside, the (laughs) offices were closed. Yeah. So essentially we have an amazing patio 
So we had set up, we believe in continuous learning. So you will see we have set up three pods hmm. where people can sit, they can pitch, there is a TV out there. <laughs> so the partner meetings were there, entrepreneur right. pitches right. were there, and we were going for walks uh, with yeah. folks. And once air travel opened up, then in our business, when you invest at the early stages, the bet is on the people you can't just be virtual. You have to spend time with them. You have to get yeah. to know them. But once you make the investment, it's all hybrid. And so just on that point around, because there's a lot of, um, because of my job, I follow a lot of techie type folks mm -hmm. on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And there's a real debate, active live debate around kind of some people being like, especially um, the kind of the hardcore startup people who have been like, if you're hybrid, basically you're not working very hard. You're not really in it. And to your point around early stage companies where you really need to kind of establish a spree de corps and mm -hmm. kind of that creativity mm -hmm. and all that stuff working together, is that a kind of a, a bright line for you in terms of new companies, new company formation, like you kind of all have to be together, largely speaking? So I would say if the company is not distributed, we have seen – people all together, two people, four people teams, 10 people teams. And the reason is you can ideate faster. Yeah. You can have a lean philosophy of building a company. But a lot of times open source software companies are all distributed. Yeah. Uh, so there, uh, since the product development can be done asynchronously and can be done in a distributed way, but as they start building their GTM teams around product mm -hmm. marketing, product management, marketing, sales, we start seeing concentration in a few hubs. Right. So I would say it depends the kind of company you're building. If you're an open source company, by default, you're going to be distributed. Mm -hmm. But if you're building an application software company, as an example, you happen to be in the same location, up to at least 20, 30 people. Right. And then you start seeing remote offices. Yeah. But even if you are in the same city, I don't think any of the companies in our portfolio uh, have people coming in all five days. Wow. Unless they don't like staying at home. <laughs> so, But they pick the days. Yeah, yeah. Three days, yeah. four days, and maybe Friday right. is a flex day. You can work from home. But some people just can't work from home. Like even at Mayfield, they're here every day. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're just here every day. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think the knock-on effect is, if anything, when we're talking about like the primacy of Silicon Valley in terms of tech, innovation, investing, et cetera, like the whole idea around this place is this network effect of a bunch of people in one place with the skills, capital, support, et cetera, to build big stuff. Now that the world has gone hybrid, and then I was saw something, um, I can't remember who said it, it's talking about like Starlink has kind of repriced the world, and now you mm -hmm. can have high-speed internet basically anywhere. Do you think that that is kind of this move to hybrid or work from anywhere will have knock-on effects on what this place is, where we are right now? I think we're already seeing a change I would say if I go back a decade, 70 to 80% of the money used to flow within 40 to 50 miles of where you and I are sitting from yes. Sand Hill. We're talking about vent tech venture. Venture, tech yeah. and yeah, venture yeah. early yeah. stage. Uh, now it's distributed. 
I think it still is 50-60%. So it's clearly coming down because yeah. innovation has become distributed. Hmm. But the dollars are still, for venture capital, concentrated, which means uh, you have to travel, which means you have to rely upon the teams and do virtual stuff. So that's what is going to change. But if you look at the epicenter of talent, the epicenter of experience, the epicenter of serial entrepreneurs, mm. it happens to be in a few regions, and Silicon Valley dominates. Yeah. Seattle is another hub for yep. cloud and SaaS companies. Boston used to be for hardware companies. We are seeing activity in New York and also in LA. So I would say those are the five places where a lot of the stuff is happening. Now, could you have a company out of Nashville? Sure, but we can count on yeah, our yeah. fingers how yeah. many of those there will be. It's hard to hire teams there. It's hard to get experience, but it's changing. Right? Will it be a minority over the next decade? That's never going to be the case. No. no right? No. But it's clearly going down. And we are seeing more and more companies even originating globally. Mm. It's not only tech companies are coming out of Israel, which attack yeah. the U.S. market, yeah, yeah. right? There are companies coming out of U.K., Ireland, Europe, India, which are building global companies. And that didn't used to happen yeah. before. Yeah. So there's more and more examples of those things which are happening now. Right. But you don't think that kind of the follow-on from that is, therefore, Silicon Valley is over, as people like to say these days. No, I don't believe, right? <laughs> like, things don't go away. My belief is, right, like, it will adapt, but it doesn't go away because yeah. this is still the epicenter of where innovation is happening. I'm not saying it won't happen in other places, yeah. but it's not going to go away. It's here to stay, but the percentage of dollars which will come here are reducing and uh, will keep going down as time goes on, but this will still be the majority. Yeah, of and capital. also the, 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 just the sheer dollars are also increasing, right? So it's may have been 80% a decade ago, but now it's 50%, but 50% of a much larger pie. Of a much larger pie. And you're absolutely right. But I think even those numbers are going to come down because <laughs> during the COVID years, yes. the amount of venture capital went up like four times to like $400 billion a year last year. I think it's going to get adjusted and get to around $100, $250 billion. But you're absolutely right. The total pie is much bigger. So 50% of a bigger pie. There was a time a decade back when 35 to $40 billion got invested in all of venture capital a year. Right. So a decade back, that was the number. And then uh, 2021, it was $400 billion. So that leads perfectly to my next question, which is Mayfield and kind of this firm, its history, and how you ended up here. Because when you talk about those numbers, $400 billion, I can't remember the exact figure, but the majority of venture firms are one fund, right? And then they disappear. In mm -hmm. other words, this mm -hmm. is a hard business. Very hard business, and it's a very humbling business. Yes, because also everybody thinks venture capital, you just go in there and you, everybody makes a bunch of money and isn't it so wonderful? But most f funds effectively fail because they can't raise more money because people are like, well, you didn't do a very good job. I lost money or I didn't get earn money or whatever. So could you give us a brief potted history of Mayfield, how long the firm has been around? And I was also looking on your uh, website. You guys are kind of old school. You have, I think, seven investing partners? Yep. And you managed $2 billion. Correct. That's 
let's call that lean. It's very <laughs> lean. Yeah, so yeah, just explain a little bit about kind of this firm and, and kind of how you guys operate because I think it's really interesting. Absolutely, right? Uh, so Mayfield, first of all, right? Like all of us are blessed to be part of such a storied firm and I consider myself the most fortunate to be a leader of this esteemed firm. Uh, Mayfield was established in 1969. In our history, we have raised 20 funds, funded over 500 companies. 120 of those have had IPOs. Many Mm. of them have been household names and another 200 have been acquired. I saw on 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 the page of your companies, Atari. Yeah. Which that is was like one of our first companies. I did a big, I did Palm. a big thing, whole thing on Atari. I talked to Nolan Bushnell and all that. So it's like I have, a, and of course I grew up, I guess, Atari generation, kind of on the cusp. So yeah, I, saw I, that. I growing up in India, I think in the eighties, that was the only game <laughs> that you could attach to a black and white TV, right, and play, right, 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 right? right because yeah. they started coming up with miniature ones, if you will. So Mayfield, long history, believes. Our first fund was only $2 million and participated in companies like Atari. There was like Genentech, Amgen. Big companies got created through that wave. And to this date, we believe, since we invest at the earlier stages of company formation, it's all about people. Our whole positioning is about people build products, people build companies. It's not the other way around. So we tend to bet on people first, market second. Uh, It's a strong belief of the firm that if you back A-plus people, their initial idea most likely is not going to work. It doesn't work 60 to 70% of the time. They catch the wrong market or the world pivots, but they will be smart enough if the VC firm collaborates with them, they'll pivot to find the right market opportunity. Uh, So that's been the history of the firm. For myself, I joined the venture capital business. I joined Mayfield in 2006. I have started leading the firm a decade back. Before that, I was a serial entrepreneur, grew up in India, went to Stanford, did my first company. uh, Where where in India? Uh, Delhi, IIT Delhi, and then came to Stanford University for my master's and PhD, and then the internet hit. So based on my PhD work, I was fortunate. What was your PhD in? Uh, streaming video over the internet. So you essentially, did a PhD in that? Yeah, I was a dropout, but uh, <laughs> uh, I had like uh, 25 research papers and 25 patents. And as I was getting ready to submit my thesis, Sandhill VCs approached us and said, hey, you can put video on the internet. Mm. In 96. What were you thinking about doing with that uh, that research? So what we had done was in 95, we figured out how to do video compression in software only at that time and how to essentially stream video over narrow pipes. At that time, you had dial tone internet, 28 kilobits, 56 kilobits, 100. There was no fast one gig per second to the home or to the office. So we figured out how to innovate in networking and video technology and in software enable Stanford classes to stream over the internet. So this distance learning concept that is mainstream mm. today, there was no YouTube, there was nothing. We built the enabling technology. VC saw it and said, hey, why won't all media companies, 
even before Netflix started, CNN have a website and put all its videos yeah. there. Disney put its movies there. So we were part of that revolution. And at that time, you're in academia. I was a PhD student. You're a PhD student. When you were in India, were you like, I'm going to come to America and start a company? I'm I believed be... in it. I believed you in did. it. You did? Yeah, That I was did. the plan. That was the plan that, hey, I need to work on practical stuff. And that's why I came to the West Coast in 92 because I believed Stanford, you can do practical things mm. compared to going to some other East Coast schools, which remain unnamed, <laughs> where I'll end up doing more theoretical research yeah. and seven years of PhD work. And the aim was, like, how do you apply technology to solve real problems and try to change the way people work, live, and play? And that's what video did, right? right? It, it has changed. Rather than sticking to a TV, yeah, yeah. you can just watch video anywhere. Right, it has changed the way you play. Mm. Twitch, people are playing yep. games. You're watching them. It's changed the way you work. Zoom is a good example. Yeah, and it's the way you learn. So, so hybrid work for you is kind of an. This is not a new idea. Yeah, like nobody <laughs> believed, right? Like basically, this would happen 25 yeah. years later, but 30 years later, it's finally happened. So when you were approached, do you remember who approached you first? Like, Yeah, Mayfield was one of the firms. I have known them. <laughs> okay. uh, one of our senior partners at that time who had also graduated from Stanford in the 80s. It was a network. Uh, so Mayfield had approached us. Uh, Benchmark yeah. uh, had approached us. Kleiner Perkins, Sequoia, because they were close all these VCs were close to what's happening at Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they said, hey, this is broadly applicable. And some of them had funded Netscape or Yahoo. Yeah, yeah. So they knew. Where things were going. And yeah, yeah. that video could be a big change, right? Putting audio and video, it's like voice and video over the internet. Yeah. It would enable a lot of things. And now it's mainstream. Just took a little longer. Yeah, as it always takes a little bit or a lot longer than people expect. Yeah, it's a marathon. It's not a Well, sprint. yeah, well, it's, it's fun. It's interesting because that's so much of your venture capital business, right? It's timing. Because most funds are only 10 years, yep. right? And then you try to get extensions, and <laughs> basically you can get two two-year extensions. But that's just the nature of this business, right? It's not like a sp running a sprint. It's like no. running a marathon. Not only do you have to get the teams right, but you need to get extremely lucky. Yeah that the market happens at the pace you had assumed it will happen. But also, right, and timing the exit, right? Because I was thinking about, like, this week, for example. Alphabet just released disappointing yep. numbers. Yep. Everybody, you know, there's this investor letter this week saying to Meta saying, cut 20% of your people. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's a wave of contraction mm -hmm. coming. Mm -hmm. But if you go back a year to November of 2021... The world was on was just going up and up and up. Asset prices were astronomical. And if you as an investor don't kind of time your exit right and miss that kind of pretty brief window, you're kind of screwed, right? Uh, I would say I tend to agree, right? Like it's very important in our business in early stage venture capital to buy low and sell high. <laughs> the only thing is the best companies are bought, they are not sold. Uh, the only right. thing you can control is if you have exit options and they are at ridiculous multiples, then mm. you take them, yeah, yeah. and we did. Yeah. Uh, Nuvia is an example of a company 
which the chip company a chip company that Qualcomm acquired for 1.6 billion 18 months from its founding and the company was 4 years away from product and big idea they wanted to compete four with Intel 4 years away from product four away for, and but they had great people yeah. and they're wow. building transformational products because this team had built all of the apple iphone chips right and the laptop chips so qualcomm's idea was why don't i take this mm. intel is anyways coming down moore's law is plateauing why won't i bet on arm to create chips for data centers to yeah. create chips for laptops and create high end products so we could have been greedy and say this company could be worth 10 billion but hey to be a 10 billion dollar semiconductor company you need to be 2 3 billion in revenues in a normal market yeah yeah but in some other cases that i can't talk about we were on public <laughs> company boards you get yeah. locked up and yeah. the cheese got moved and i can tell you not only for us for every vc if their companies that went public in 2021 if you weren't able to get out you would be lucky if you're only 50% down from the peak yeah most likely or 70 80 90% down so you're absolutely right it's extremely important mm. to time the exits if possible right because just because the market is at the yeah. peak you can't just say buy my company that doesn't happen no. but if the opportunity knocks at the door one has to keep their eyes wide open and say saas multiples 50x revenues 100x revenues just a decade back they were 3x 5x <laughs> right right bad news is they're back to 4.7x <laughs> yeah so yeah, it yeah. normalizes so yeah. i think not only is the entry valuation important the exit timing is very important but in 2020 and 2021 we actually put brakes on early stage investing because valuations were so high it was, there was bananas right i mean it, it just was just crazy right yeah. like ownership wasn't available and in our 50 plus year history what we have found through analysis is actually when public markets are peaking those are the worst vintage years for venture capital right because you're buying high and at exit time the market's better be double triple 4x of where you invested yeah otherwise you're going to have terrible returns yeah versus the market we are in today this correcting is the, this, this is, is the, the time. time this is this the is time, the time right? to invest this is the right. time for entrepreneurs to jump in right less companies will get financed there'll be fewer me too players big companies won't innovate people are going to do layoffs you can hire talent lots of talent yeah the entitlement is over of getting like chefs to create food for you <laughs> from the big companies you mentioned yes, right yes, or getting yes. massages yes yes so now you can put your head down and as the economy comes out of the tough mm. environment it is in 2 3 4 years later when you launch your product you could be the only game in town because yeah. spend it's cyclical and my belief is right like crisis is only an opportunity for the bold and over the last 100 years whenever you have slow down in economies and recessions great companies get created mm. great companies get created because there's just less competition less money yeah big companies can't invest in r&d it must be hard though when things are going like you say going back a year or 18 months when everything's going to the moon just be like mm, we're sitting out 
or was it easy because you had two dudes in a spreadsheet come in here and be like, yeah, we have a, we don't have a product yet, but we want a $100 million valuation because we're so brilliant? So I think we tend to take a contrarian view. Our belief is, was it difficult to sit out of the market? Yes, it was. But it's not that we didn't do investments. We did. We, yeah. we were aligned with the entrepreneurs and we saw they were relationship oriented and they were not trying to take every money off the table and they believed, but they were far and few. And I'm glad mm. we had that discipline because otherwise we would be crying today with down rounds, companies getting unfinanced. And our strong belief is don't have herd mentality. This is the industry though. It feels like this is what happens. It's like what's happening right now with like uh, generative AI. Stable Diffusion, Dali 2. Yeah, all yeah these... we'll talk about it too, right? Like, So I think that's where you have to realize what business you're in. You're in the business of venture capital. If markets are discovered and everybody is seeing it, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> and FOMO yeah. is for sheep, right? The f you cannot have fear of missing out. We tell startups, have your own North Star. Have your own strategy. What about yourself as a VC? And then to your earlier point, venture firms don't have longevity. Mayfield must have done something right to be around for 53 years. Yeah. And did we make mistakes in 99, 2000? Yeah, we made mistakes too. Everybody did, yeah. And, but you have to learn from those mistakes. And that's the advantage of having institutional learning and muscle memory. We did fine in 2008, 2009 because we had slowed down in 2006, 2007. 08, 09 happened. We went aggressive into the market, what we are doing now. Because our belief is, how can the best companies in the world all get created in 2021? <laughs> like, what is the mad rush, right? Yeah, if yeah, that means yeah, innovation yeah. will be over in 2022 yeah. or 2023. So you always invest at a measured pace. And you need to have discipline at entry and discipline at exit. And if you can't get ownership, very few companies anyways work. My belief is, yes, the exit value matters. Yeah. But what is more important is, what's your ownership? Mm. Because your return to the fund is the exit valuation of the company, which needs to be multiplied by what you own. So yeah, every company we thought would be worth as an industry $10 billion. So I'd rather own 20% of it rather than 1%. Yeah, yeah. But now we can count how many companies can be worth 10 billion. Well, Those go-go years are gone. Exactly. And that's what's really interesting is like you talked to VCs a year ago and everybody's talking about the kind of the theoretical value of their portfolio. Yeah, and that's it's just, all readjusted. That's just magic beans because it only matters when you actually get the cash out when yep. something happens like an IPO or a sale or whatever. Correct. So I always try to measure what cash you have returned to your investors because everything else is paper money. Exactly. And in our industry, yeah. that's called DPI, distributions to paid in capital. Your IRR on paper till you realize it or what your multiple on invested capital on unrealized companies is, is meaningless yeah. because everybody was looking good. You throw a dart and everything was just going up because there was so much money. I think now, every, a lot of it, yeah. A lot, I think a lot of people have confused kind of you know luck and momentum for their own genius. That when it's really just no, this is just the whole market was going up, money was free. Now that period is over, the tide has gone out. 
and it's going to get really ugly for a lot of companies. Really ugly. And I think we haven't even seen it. But my belief is entrepreneurs and VCs shouldn't be going for beta. That's public market investors and hedge funds. Our job is to create alpha. And once a sector gets overheated, it's only bad news. There's the famous Gartner hype curve, right? (laughs) Which is, right, like what happens when, and you're right, right? Like crypto was in fashion, valuations were through the roof, like starting series A valuations were 500 million, billion. Now we are reading the same about generative AI and generative tech. Series A deals, like uh, I don't know who wrote about it. One was at a billion. The other one is at a billion and a half. Series A, not even 100. So what what are these companies going to be worth for VCs? We're not in the business of making 2, 3x. These companies better be 100 to 150 billion. (laughs) And we know that's rare. At the time of exit, it could take 10 years from yeah. exit for great companies to be worth $100 billion. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's happening. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I want to go back. So you, you started your company out of Stanford. What happened to that company? So I actually did, I was a serial entrepreneur. I did three companies. The first one was VXtreme, which in 18 months got acquired by Microsoft. I was just 26 when the company exited. So by Bill Gates's Microsoft, like when he was running the show. When he was running the show, this was back in 97. He was the CEO. And they put our technology into Internet Explorer and into Windows. Mm. And the technology was called Windows Media. Oh, yeah. So it enabled, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it enabled the delivery of video uh, over the Internet. Once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. I did a few years at Microsoft to pay my dues. Here or? Uh, we had to move to Seattle. The oh, wow. entire R&D team, roughly 50 engineers. Right. Then I did a second company called iBeam Broadcasting, which was a video internet. Like how do you stream video over the internet? Akamai was doing it for images. We were doing it for video. We took the company public uh, in the worst time. May of 2000, went out at a May billion. May of 2000. Yep. Those were the idiotic days. So I lived <laughs> bubbles, right? That company grew. The sec- The first company was very capital efficient. Yeah. 
the second company did all the wrong things it could, and but went public, and then by year end it was trading at one fifth. The IPO valuation got acquired, and then I did a third company in the year two thousand, which was software as a service company focused on small businesses, with five to fifty employees, mm. and that was painful. And the reason it was painful mm. is the company is still around. We were just too early. SaaS, what is software as a service? Yeah, Small yeah. businesses, they didn't even have a website in 2000. And we had to go through the downturn of not only the internet bubble bursting, yeah. but then 9-11. And that was one of the most challenging things as an entrepreneur because first company acquired by Microsoft, you get financial freedom, second company so, goes yeah, So public. you're in your 20s, you're like, I'm a genius and I'm rich, yay. No, like I think I was lucky and <laughs> didn't realize the money part of it, right? Just kept my head down and kept doing companies. Yeah. Didn't know what the money went because just come with uh, humble beginnings and a set of values my parents instilled in me and that has served well to yeah. this date, right? I, I didn't know what happened, right? Like literally, because see, like in those days, how many companies could exit in 18 months? But it just happened. Yeah. Right? Like it just happened and... Well, it uh, sounded like you were also in a rush. You did three companies quite quickly. I did three companies over... No, once they exited. Yeah. Then I did the next one, the next one. So essentially in a period of around 10 years... I was part of three companies. The first one got acquired, second went public, acquired, and the third ran it for two, two and a half years, got acquired. I ran the combined companies and then realized it had pivoted to be WebMD for the CPA profession. It's still around called mm. CPA.com. I just didn't have the passion to do you it. You didn't have the passion for accounting software? Uh it's tough. They're better people. There's better people. And then I realized, right, like I have too many ideas and leading a company and building it for 10 years requires a different skill set. So mm. it's better for me to be a VC to help other entrepreneurs fulfill their dreams and help them build iconic companies. And by the way, during the internet days, things were happening. In 18, 24, yeah, yeah. 36 months. My first job in journalism was covering, I, I got it in 2000. So okay. I covered like the, the last vestiges of the boom and then the bust. Yep. The only difference between then and now is that time you just needed a dot com in your name and yes. you could be public. Now you need real revenues, only the multiples are artificial. <laughs> In 2020 and 21, yes. you just had to say, I'm a tech company or I'm an online company. Yeah. And boom, you know, crazy. So it sounded like the first company was kind of an unmitigated success. The second and third were difficult for different reasons. That was, what did you take away from the second company, which you took public and then right into the teeth of a historic downturn? Yep. And then the second one, or sorry, the third one rather launching this company and then finding yourself grinding through the treacle of a tough market and just, you know, as you say, realizing that this is just, this is what it is and this is really tough. Yeah. So what I would say is when you are 25, 26, I did my first company when I was 25. 
my biggest issue was focus. That's the number one thing I tell entrepreneurs today is focus, 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 because startups mm. die of indigestion. They don't <laughs> die of starvation, right? Be the king or queen of some hill rather than a jack of all trades. Mm. Pick an area, build a trench there rather than boring six-inch holes in 50 different areas. Right. So that was lesson number one that I learned. The second lesson was if company building takes seven, eight years to an IPO, don't get carried away by what's happening in the wave. And it helps me today by not following mm -hmm. the herd. As an entrepreneur, everybody was doing it. So you did it too. In two years from scratch, you could be a public company. Totally. So if it takes seven, eight, nine years, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So learn the hard way, right? And the third one, which was review after iBeam, focusing on the small business market, what I realized was our value proposition to small businesses was not a painkiller. It was a vitamin. I and see. vitamins don't sell. They didn't do. just need software to automate their back office. Yeah. They don't even have a website. They don't even have internet connection. So I think those were my three big lessons. Company one, focus, focus, focus. We were doing too much. Yep. Successful. Company two, if it takes seven, eight, nine years to go IPO, why follow the herd and go IPO yeah. in two years? We still did well. The company at the peak was worth $3 billion, but we had to sell it at a lower price. The third one, if you pick the wrong market and timing, the company can be around but can take 10 years longer for SaaS to essentially happen. Yeah. And you better love what you're doing or be really all in. Always, right? Like basically you need to have the passion, but also you need to have the EQ and self-awareness of what you're good at mm. and what you're not good at. And you need to surround yourself with excellence and not put yourself just because you're the founder ahead of the company. Do the right thing by all the shareholders. So that's why I stepped down as the CEO of the third company, because I realized, you know what? My team, they're better people who are suited to build this company and create a build-to-last company. So those are some of the lessons, right? Like I tell other entrepreneurs because I've been in their shoes and lived the up and the down of that market. So I remember standing up and saying this stuff in 2020, and this in Q3, this is unsustainable. Mm. And then Q4, markets even go up. Q1, 2021, yeah, yeah. better. Yeah. Q2, 20, even higher, yeah. higher. So I was just going, maybe all my learnings were just fake. Maybe this is a new world. <laughs> but this time is different. Basics. This time's really different. <laughs> like, it was gut-wrenching, to be yeah. honest, right? Like yeah. when the markets kept going up, 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 Last year, like I was just wondering, man, like what is happening? Mm. This is not, this is, we are in one of the biggest health crises and the world has seen at least in the last 70, 80 years, what is happening? Yeah. Like, and now we are facing the aftermath of what happened. And it was the same in 99, in the 2000 internet burst, 2008, 2009, was quick recovery. It yeah. was a financial services issue and the government stepped in and saved the banks. 
it wasn't a slowdown in tech, but this yeah. is big. Yeah, so where do you think we are in that? Because I know that like what you said earlier, and this is, a lot of people said this because I think it's true, is that you know now theoretically is the best time to start a company, to invest, to get in at more reasonable multiples, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of that downturn, like I said, talking as we're talking this week, you know, it's like this big week for tech earnings and a lot of it is expected to be bad with worse to come. You have companies like Coinbase and Snapchat laying off 20%, et cetera. In terms of that kind of arc, where are we in terms of the, uh, the downturn from your perspective? So I want to be pragmatic, right? Because I want to encourage entrepreneurs to keep running the marathon mm. and not get too worried about and just quit. So I think as far as new company formation is concerned, I'm just convinced. Having been an entrepreneur since 95, 96 and a VC since 2004, 5, this is the best time to start a company because by the time the markets turn around, you'll be in the market with a product Yeah. because you don't even have anything today. I think as far as companies which are public or companies which are late stage, I think now they're seeing starting last quarter, the slowdown in spend mm -hmm. from consumers and also businesses. And it's going to show up either in missing their earnings, like what happened with Google, or slow down for future quarters. And what's that going to lead to is every company will have to, a late-stage company, public company, mid-stage companies, will have to re-forecast what they're going to do. And it's going to show up in their valuation, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And they'll have to right-size the companies. So I foresee as sales won't grow, capital is drying up, there will be more reduction in force that's happening in public companies or no increase in headcount coming to late-stage private companies and mid-stage private companies. But this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. The only thing a company can control is its spend. Yeah. So we have been working with our portfolio since January of this year, and we are lucky with an active portfolio of 80 private companies. Luckily so far, everybody adjusted their burn or raised capital mm. for 18 plus months. We have had zero shutdowns and we do portfolio reviews and look at every company metric every month and help the entrepreneurs. But I think the next nine to 12 months, there'll be more casualties. We got yeah. lucky yeah. with zero this year so far. We're approaching the end of October. That was just luck or foresight. Yeah. And we had one casualty in 2020, but I think we are going to see more write-downs and more casualties in the next nine to 12 months. But our aim as a VC firm is, how do we get our companies either financed, valuations don't matter, yeah, size doesn't matter. Survive. Survive and reduce your burn rate so that you can last because there's no award, there's no IPO market. There's not going to be any M&A market. You have to be around. Yeah. <laughs> when those opportunities exist. Yeah. So runway yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah. Runway is the most important thing for companies. And finally, cash is queen. So yeah. better preserve it. Yeah. And there's no free money. 
that is going to come to you because people are going to be selective with mid and late stage companies on which ones they fund and which ones they don't because there's going to be so much inventory yeah. and so much carnage right so long run very bullish on the technology industry short run there's going to be pain we've only seen it in public companies it's coming down yeah. it's coming down and it takes a few years at least mm -hmm. to get out of this thing once things slow down yeah and as you say a lot of it, there can be a lot of indigestion at yep. best and i think sometimes it's good for nature to clean up things so i think that's what we're going to go through so i have two more areas of questions and i'll let you go one you mentioned your humble beginnings so i'd love to just understand kind of how and where you grew up in india because also I, th I did a piece earlier this year on um, all the IIT alumni who are now running these big tech companies. And it's just mm -hmm, if you, mm -hmm. that kind of um, system seems quite powerful as well. But I'd love to just understand a bit more of your backstory and how you grew up and how you ended up kind of making it up and out. Yeah. So let's start from childhood, right? Like my father was a self-made man. He was the eldest in his family, but his father died when he was 16 years old mm. and he had two siblings who were younger than him. And his mom or my grandmother, who's not alive today, was uneducated. Mm. So they had very little money to survive. So my father finished his school and finished his undergrad and five years later, he had to support his mother yeah. and pay for the education of the sister and his brother. And he faced a lot of hardships. He had to sleep on train stations, um, mm. could just survive on one meal. He just saw tough days, right? Well, this was in Delhi? Uh, he was in a small city and then for his undergrad moved to Delhi when he was 18. So we saw some values that way. My mother was a professor, very God-fearing. Uh, so am I. I worship a few times a day. Mm. Like I'm going to show you, right? Like I wear all kinds of God stuff oh, yeah. uh, with me. And she doesn't eat even meat. She has been a vegetarian all along. So we had the spiritual side from my mom and my dad. H Hindu Hinduism. Hinduism. Yeah. And my dad basically... Within 15 years of starting as a sales rep, became the head of sales, marketing, and then by the time he was 20 years in the business, he became CEO of companies. Wow. So he showed. So entrepreneurism runs. Yeah. So we had a combination of somebody who was very driven, business-minded, and wanted to get security mm. to the family so that they could have what... He didn't have, yep. not only us, his entire family. And then mom always taught us that, hey, there's always somebody above you, which is God. So it keeps everything in check. and Keeps your feet uh, on the ground. Yeah, keeps your feet on the ground, head on your shoulders. And so I came from that kind of a background, was very lucky, went to IIT Delhi, graduated at the top of the class, came to this country with $600 on a fellowship from Stanford University. They paid for my education. They mm. paid for my boarding and worked with some great professors. And, and sorry, just so you, you kind of breeze past that, graduating at the top of IIT Delhi, that f feels like not a small thing. 
That yeah, no, I quite... think like it's it's you're working your uh, your peers are the best in the best academically. Uh, so in a country of a billion people, which is so, it's like the best of the best of the best of the best. Uh, only every year when I was in IIT, I went in 1988. Total number of kids uh, who could come in was 2,000 a year. So 2,000 a year. And maybe 200,000, 300,000 kids appear for the entrance exam. So it's very, very hard. And none of us... So do you remember when you found out that you got in? Yeah. Like basically you give the test and you have to go stand. And the results are printed uh, with your ranking. And then you have to select which department you go. So in 88, after your uh, high school is over, Mm. they don't look at any high school results. There's oh, an really? entrance it's exam. It's just the test. It's just the test. So it's like the equivalent oh of God. SAT, which 200, and it's all AP stuff. You don't study any of that stuff for high school. So it's so all on your own, basically. It's all on your own through tuitions, remote reading. You're reading the first two years in 11th and 12th grade of what you do in the first two, three years of college in the US, right? So it's hardcore. It's hardcore. You're parallel processing your high school, and then on your own studying all these APs. And uh, it's tough. It's tough, and it requires nerves. That's kind of a life-changing thing, though, right? If you can kind of, one, get in, and then one, excel once you're there. I think it helps you. That's how you get into Stanford, and one door opens another door, and then you make lifelong friends. But you learn a lot because now you're hanging with people who have never been number two in their life. Hmm. And you learn how to have time discipline. Even though you're competing with others, you have to develop a personality that people still respect and like you. In this uber-competitive environment. It's like everybody is giving their best, right? Like, if you will, and only so many people can be number one, number two, number three. It's like a strict grading system, and Mm -hmm. it's on the curve. So out of 50 kids in a class... Only eight or ten can get an A. And I remember some some of the classes, they used to be multiple answers and negative marks. So if you get negative. The, negative, not zero. <laughs> so like so the average out of twenty points in a minor are like a quiz used to be like two or three. So if you got ten, you are just like oh my God. Out, out of the world because if you get multiple answers That's wrong, brutal, yeah. right? You get negative <laughs> marks, not zero. Oh my God. So not zero. So I think no. So that helped. And then I think I got lucky coming to Stanford, somebody paying for my tuition, boarding, everything. Mm. And the internet hit. And we were in from 92 to 95. We were in the midst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like the Google guys knew us. They used to come to our house. The Yahoo guys and us were sitting in the same place. So many companies were starting. It was just being at the right time at the right place. And my other friends who went to East Coast school or other schools, they just missed. They didn't see this kind of opportunity. So I think like one has to work hard, but luck does make a lot of difference. Being at the right time, right place, you have to do your stuff. And that's what my belief is. And at the end, uh, I believe in Hinduism, which is you do your best, which is your karma, do your work, Mm -hmm. don't count on the fruits, Leave the rest to God. And if you keep doing good for the world, good happens to you. 
And you must that's have been what I been really by. leaning on that in 2020 and 2021. As you say, like, this can't keep going on. And you're, <laughs> this, and, but I think we also did something in 2020 with all the stuff which were happening. I think we are only one of the few firms which donated every year 1% of our management fee and 1% of our carry to local causes. Oh, wow. Uh, so essentially, we have programs where we are supporting DEI, food, education, and healthcare programs, not only here, but on a global basis. Because you realize that, you know, if you believe, let's not do business as usual, let's do business for good. And if you do good things, good things will happen to you. Yeah. So do well for your investors and entrepreneurs financially, but do good for people around you. Yeah. You'll get good vibes. You'll get good <laughs> luck. And it's a network yeah. effect business. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, and then I'll let you go. You've been very generous with your time. So you've been doing this since the 90s. You've seen the kind of the rise of the internet and all that opportunity that that generated. 2022, this is a good time to invest. Mm -hmm. Are there one or two or three things like technologies, trends, something where you're like, this this is really interesting right now. Yeah. So uh, the first one which you and I have talked yes. about before is Renaissance Silicon. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe silicon is coming back to Silicon Valley. Chips. Uh, chips, yep. right? And the main reason is Moore's Law, the idea that processor speed can double every 18 to 24 months, it's plateaued. Yeah. So there is need for special purpose silicon for GPUs, graphic processing, AIML, networking, blockchain, so mm. on and so forth. So huge believer in Renaissance Silicon and what happened with uh, open source software. Now it's going to happen with open source hardware, and you yeah. did a brilliant piece on what's happening with RISC V, yeah. where you and I had talked about it. So that's one big trend. Yeah. The second big trend is human-centered AI. How do you use AI to make humans superhumans mm. do things that humans can't do and help them do it? For example, security. I'm watching security events. There's a billion of them per year. It's a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. So prioritize the 10 events I should look for. Same thing for doctors. Mm. Like, will there be use cases of AI where AI can help me spot in a radiology thing, or can it help me develop new drugs? Right. The third area where we are very, very bullish is how do you use fundamental sciences as technology for planetary health. Mm. So we believe sustainability companies and companies which will improve the planet and reverse climate change are going to be very, very big, Yeah. right? And the last one I would say is the rise of the developers. What I mean is these are the people who are building products. Mm. In the past, they've been the ignored masses because they are seen as cost centers. They yeah. have no budgets. But now the big companies which are getting created, you don't sell to the CIO or the CXO. The developer adopts your product, and then somebody in the IT department pays. Figma is a great example. Right. HashiCorp, one of our companies, is a great example. GitHub, GitLab, 
or like data breaks where it's either the engineer or the data scientist mm-hmm. or even individuals in sales and marketing it's this yeah. whole movement about rise of the individual where power is moving mm-hmm. from centralized authorities to distributed authorities and then finally let's see what happens with web3 right and it's a little bit different than crypto <laughs> yeah. and defi yeah can web3 and blockchain technologies be the enabling layer of a next generation of internet to be created so those are some of the areas we are spending on but we are looking for something which can be like the browser or the iphone moment for consumer yeah still missing so there has to be a big platform like ar vr or metaverse mm-hmm. or you and i don't even know what it is yeah right so there has to be that's why consumer companies are struggling right so now what we are seeing is deep tech innovation save yeah. lives save the planet build chips help humans using ai but the way we interface with machines is the same yeah yeah right yeah. so there has to be something there was desktop pcs mm-hmm. with apple macintosh and windows yeah. then there was the browser yep then there was the iphone the smartphone that now, was 2008 and that was dot 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 and then dot, yeah. nothing yeah. big which has hit consumer so that's what i worry about mm. but tech innovation there's a lot of different areas where vcs are going to fund companies yeah and again as you and i talked about some areas will get valuations which are probably 5 years forward from where they should be <laughs> and the hot word today that everybody is talking about is generative ai yeah. or generative tech let's see it makes sense but valuations are out of whack yes it's a new bubble which is forming like crypto indeed indeed and that is all the time we have i want to thank naveen for taking the time i want to thank you all for listening for the ratings for the reviews for spreading the word about danny in the valley it really helps other people find the show and keep me employed so thank you Um that is it for me this week. Uh I will be writing about probably Twitter this week because yeah, that's not a small story. So do check that out at thetimes.co.uk and stay safe out there, stay sane and thank you as ever for listening. Bye-bye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade.